0: I had the absolute privilege of interviewing Simon Drew on The Playful Life. Simon is the founder of The Walled Garden, which is both a podcast and an online community. Along with some of his close mentors, they are building a global community of philosophers, artists, and seekers who are dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine wherever it may be found. Simon is the author, the poet, and the sage, which we talk about in depth on this episode, as well as a musician and composer. So we definitely had that in common. We also dive a little bit into spirituality, stoicism, and the pursuit of our own personal freedom. I certainly felt enlightened and just overall lighter and more energized during this conversation with Simon, and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy. Welcome to the Playful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal from Crystallized Health Advisors. I truly believe that we need to live, not just be alive. Living the playful life means all areas of our health, be it physical, spiritual, mental, or emotional, are all in harmony. This podcast is your place to find ways to make life more playful, deepen your spiritual foundation, find mental clarity, and strengthen your relationships. So, are you ready to live The Playful Life? Hi, Simon, welcome to The Playful Life.
1: Crystal, it is awesome to be here with you. Thanks so much for having me. This is great.
0: Yes, of course, of course. And I was uh, interviewed by you just a couple weeks ago, so I don't know where these episodes will air uh, on the internet, but um, I'm so honored to reciprocate that and now have you on my show and I uh, get to ask you all the questions I want to know about you. Um, so Simon, <laughs> I have, uh, I followed your podcast for a while now. Uh, used to be the Practical Stoic and now it's the Walled Garden. Um, so maybe just let's start there. Uh, you know, how did this sort of like come about? And, and when were you like, you know, I'm going to start a podcast about Stoicism. I'm, I'm so intrigued.
1: Yeah, well, um, man, that was back in 2017. And I guess during that time, I had been doing a lot of what you might say soul searching. Uh, And somebody who, you know, it was actually Tim Ferriss who recommended that people read uh, Seneca's letters, the epistles from Seneca the Younger. And you know, so I kind of, you know, was obsessed with people like Tim Ferriss at at the time. And I was like, great, okay, his recommendation, I'm going to go do this. And I had been reading a lot of personal development books. And then when I read Seneca's letters, I was like, man, this is like the source, you know, this is, this is, you know, I, I had never really been exposed to philosophy, you know, I had been exposed to a lot of personal development stuff. Which has its place, of course, but philosophy uh, really just it completely switched the way that I view uh, a lot of modern personal development stuff because so much of it comes from these ancient, timeless ideas that have really, uh, you know, as you might say, stood the test of time. And so I just really found a kinship with, with Seneca and his writings. And uh, from there, I got very interested in Stoic philosophy. And uh, I was a kind of uh, entrepreneurial kind of person I thought, okay, well, if I'm interested in this, um, then surely there are other people who are interested in this. And I just kind of felt like the best way for me to learn was to help other people to learn. And uh, I kind of took the approach that if maybe I'm a little bit further along on my journey of learning what stoicism it is, then I can bring people along on that journey with me. And And that's kind of what happened because, well, I'll tell you, you know, that the first day that I uh, posted an episode, this was so funny. The very first episode and the very first day, I got this email from a listener. Uh, you know, it was just so funny that this was the first day. He sent me this email basically saying, um, uh, "You've got this wrong. You've got this wrong. You've got this wrong. Do better." <laughs> and, and and I thought, "Oh my gosh." You know, and it was a good little wake up call for me, but nonetheless, it was, um, it was, it's interesting to see that over the years, you know, I still get people saying to me, hey, those earlier episodes of the Practical Stoic podcast were so transformative for me uh, in bringing me into an understanding of the Stoic philosophy. And even though I was not as perhaps uh, knowledgeable. as as I should have been at that time, I think that the fact that I started so early on in my journey learning Stoicism actually brought people along with me on that journey. And so now we're getting into the really nitty gritty, you know, theological concepts of Stoicism that perhaps I had no idea about back then. But, you know, it's if people go back and listen to the start and then go all the way through, uh, then what's going to happen is that they'll get the evolution of my thinking they'll start to see that there's an adventure that i'm going on and you can kind of go from say the personal development world all the way through to the more uh, sophisticated concepts of stoicism. And I will just say that those earlier episodes of the Practical Stoic, I actually ended up putting them on my Patreon and on the walled garden. But I'm I'm reconsidering whether I should just release them back into the wild. And, you know, because so many people did get so much value out of them. And I'd like for there to be that full picture there at this time. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it.
0: That's so cool. And I think just the process is really, to me, like what the Stoic philosophy is about, too. It's about learning. It's about growth and like you're saying personal development so to be transparent be like I don't know all the answers but I'm searching for them and I think that's what attracted a lot of people to you initially was that yeah I'm I'm not an expert about this but I'm interested in this and here's somebody talking about this topic that's often very intellectual and uh you know very heady and you know just kind of taking it and being like well here I don't know this is what I think about it Um, which is I think why you've had such good success. Uh, So I I love Tim Ferriss too. My husband and I were just talking about how uh, we are, you know, embarking on this journey to live abroad for a month and like how we would not have ever thought about doing that or structuring our lives in a certain way or our finances if we hadn't both read the four-hour work week. So I love that you're a fan of his. And I'm curious, like when you first were like, what is this, you know, Seneca and what is this stoicism? Like, was there something that grabbed you in? Like, is there a feeling or maybe a certain part of that philosophy or or something that you read in particular that really resonated with you? That was like, yes, I I see that there's some good nuggets here to keep going.
1: Yeah, um, I think it was. I think I was already primed to get interested in philosophy and probably particularly stoicism just because of all the reading of personal development books but you know I've been really thinking about this because Seneca you know most people who read Seneca's writings are going to feel a real personal touch to his writings because he is writing letters and it almost appears that he's writing directly to you and I mean he is writing directly to you because he says in his third letter I believe it is uh, that I am writing this for the future generations, that they'll have something to, you know, to to uh, to hold on to, really um, philosophically, and you see that, that in his writings. And I've been really thinking about why the classical texts are having such a reemergence in terms of their popularity in our modern world. And I, I think I've stumbled upon something. Okay, so they were having a real experience of personal enlightenment you say through these philosophical principles and when they had that experience and when they're writing you know when 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 they're writing down their deepest thoughts and intuitions about uh you know the the nature of reality and our experience as human beings and how we can lead more towards uh lean more in towards flourishing uh, and away from those things that do not serve us you know they're not writing those things because somebody said, hey, listen, um, the market really wants this book right now, so we need you to write this. And they're not writing this because somebody said, hey, listen, stoicism is really popular right now, so you should write a book about stoicism. And, you know, they're, they're not necessarily writing it to pump you up, to, to, to motivate you. writing you know the goods of their soul they're writing the the adventure that they're going on internally and they're they're experiencing these things and and they are and they're transferring that that knowledge of that experience to us and I think that that has a lot to do with um the reason why I personally felt so uh uh so in love I fell so much in love with these ancient texts is because they're writing from this beautiful place it it is really the goods of their soul that they're searching for and that comes out in in the beauty of the writing you know like I've been thinking about that because it you know there are a lot of books out there that's like here's your 10 steps to stoicism or here's how to be a stoic or you know here's you know how to become this thing but you know they didn't write like that. And, and, and it wasn't that simple to them. They were wrestling with problems that were so fundamental to humanity. So I I think that that's been for me, the reason why I've gone back to the ancient texts. Um, it kind of takes away the influence of the market, you might say, and you, you kind of get the source of, of what everybody else is writing about today.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yes, I I totally agree. When I go back and and read that stuff, it's, I mean, even the Bible, right? It's not like that was written as like a a way to market you know they were writing this book so that i could get you into this funnel so that you'd sign up for like these coaching sessions right i think although
1: um, you could say that christianity <laughs> is the best funnel that was ever created i mean uh,
0: like, perhaps yeah <laughs> that's very funny but,
1: but none but i understand what you're saying yeah
0: mm-hmm. um so I, i'm curious about two things so i know that you are an author yourself and we'll talk about that for sure um But I, I also remember hearing that you were going like to university and studying some theology. And so, uh, I'm guessing that it was sort of like, um, because you were inspired by these ancient writings and and things like that. So like what, I guess, what did inspire you and what was your journey with that and your experience? And are you still on that journey?
1: Yeah, definitely still on that journey and there's probably going to be no end, um, but uh, there there are a few things that led me to now studying a master of divinity. Um, okay, let's, let's have a think here. So number one is, yes, deeply interested in the theology of stoicism. You know, I started to really wake up to the fact that, you know, so many of the texts that I had read, I had kind of skipped over the parts where they were talking about God and then I realized, hang on, like all of the ancient Stoics were talking about God at some point or another. Um, and They were wrestling with, with deep theological concepts. Then I started to see, oh, hang on, St. Paul spent a lot of time in Rome with philosophers, including Stoic philosophers. And I started to see, oh, okay, so, you know, there's these rumors that even Seneca may have actually met with Paul at some, some point and, and had conversations with him. And, um, you know, the whole world of religion and philosophy and theology and it's all so much more intermingled and interconnected back in those ancient times than what we might first imagine Uh, I also I was I was deeply inspired by the work of Jordan Peterson as well and I wouldn't cite him as the only reason why I decided to start a a study a master of divinity but what I would say is that through his work and through stoicism I started to really wake up to the this idea that I have a true individual nature within me that, you know, is the goods of my soul, as Seneca would say, and my job is to find out what those goods are and to allow them to come out into the world, into the light. And this is where I'm going to bring in the book that I've just written, because I think that the major thing that pushed me in the direction of studying a master of divinity was having the experience of writing the poet and the sage. Because that experience was my first truly artistic experience. And I think it was my first truly, uh, I want to say religious, but that's the wrong word, Um, experience of being connected with something that you might say is higher than this body and this little earthly experience that I'm having here. Because the artistic experience, if it's true, is always one of being moved rather than you being the, the mover, right? It's, 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 it's an experience of allowing yourself to let go and to allow something to come through you onto the page or through the instrument. And so at the time of writing The Poet and the Sage, I was having this experience with both poetry and also my music playing because um, I was learning piano at the time. And, and that was a completely transformative experience of, and I learned it in a different way. I wasn't forcing myself in any direction. I was trying to be very free with my approach to it. But then with the writing, you know, here's the thing, Crystal, I never thought that I would be a poet ever in my life. My dad is a beautiful poet. So it makes sense to me that that's in my nature.
0: Oh, and wow, he that's very cool.
1: beautifully, right? But I never thought because I was never interested in poetry, but when I started writing The Poet and the Sage, what started coming out was poetry and it was deep symbolism and archetypal metaphor and all these very strange ideas and it was theology and philosophy. And so that experience just showed me when I, you know, when I finished The Poet and the Sage, I looked back and I thought, what the hell was that you know what what just happened and so I kind of said to people well I'll spend about a year to a year and a half writing this book and I'm probably going to spend the rest of my life figuring out what the hell happened and and so that's that's really why I'm going back to study divinity is I'm really interested now in I think for me personally I've seen that my nature is pushing me in the direction of dealing with matters of the soul, both as an artist, um, you know, as a musician, as a poet, and hopefully in the future as as a theologian. So,
0: yes, that is wild, and I, I think we could bring in the topic of music too, um, because like yeah, music,
1: guitar behind yeah, you, that a so piano there too? yeah, so we're musicians.
0: My piano, yeah, we got guitars. So my husband and I are both musicians and you know songwriters and and yeah sometimes you just sit down at the piano or whatever instrument and and create right there's like this flow state that people get in and you don't necessarily know I mean some people might find a formula to it like that go to school for music and they learn about that and structuring chords like that's never been my approach my my approach is just I don't know I'm going to play something and see if it sounds good and if it's sounds good to me and I feel like it's going somewhere, I'm gonna continue like with the writing process. Um, So I just, I think that's really like brave of you to sort of let that flow come out of you with the poet and the sage and like how fascinating now that you can look back on this and like have a whole nother experience going back and reading through it and talking about it. And I know you even said maybe uh, to have some conversations about it, like on the, on your podcast or with your community at the walled garden, because mm-hmm. there's so much more to learn from, from that. And, uh, and I, I want to bring back to that topic of like a higher power, right. And the, I, I love that master of divinity. I don't think I've ever heard of that. So now I'm intrigued. Um, but I, I feel like, uh, I'm studying that maybe just in my life and being mm-hmm. on my own stoic journey and having the practices and you know, doing them every day and being in that personal development space. Um, so, and I, I find it interesting. And I know you've had a couple episodes on your show about that, like the topic of God and stoicism, because I, I feel that maybe in modern times, people have a real uh, maybe misunderstanding of Stoicism and and thinking that it's very godless and that maybe it attracts atheists, it attracts people who don't conform to any kind of, you know, theology or religion or or any kind of spiritual practice, and I I feel like it's such the opposite, I mean, at least for me. Um, So I guess what was that journey like for you, and did you always have sort of like that compass of a higher power, or was that something that changed for you, developed for you, as you went through that discovery?
1: Yeah, well, okay, how far back do I go here? Um, Well, I was actually raised as as a Mormon, um, and uh, so that was my upbringing, was, uh, you know, being really deeply grounded in, you know, these ancient texts and and of course, um, you know, the, the Mormon sacred text that accompanies the Bible, which is the Book of Mormon. And so, you know, I was in seminary. I was learning from the Bible. And, and you know, my parents did bring me up in certain, certain values. But nonetheless, uh, I was somewhat of a lazy student as, as, as a kid. And, um, you know, th- there were certain things that led me away from the church. And, uh, and I still haven't returned, but nonetheless, uh, you know, I was led away, and over time, I kind of just went into the standard secular world. I, I, I'm really grateful that I, I somehow managed to leave the church without harboring any sort of resentment in my heart towards the traditions of my youth. I mean. Uh, I have nothing res- but respect for the organization, you know, that is um, the Mormon church. There are very beautiful people and um, yeah, very industrious people. And, uh, you know, there's so many amazing people who who raised me as a kid. But but nonetheless, um, I was in that kind of secular space. And I, I'll say something about this because you mentioned stoicism and how it perhaps attracts, uh, you know, atheists or people can get the idea that it's a, a philosophy of, of, of atheism or because um, I, I, I remember there was one turning point for me where somebody joined my Facebook group, and there was a question when you joined the Facebook group, which was, uh, you know, uh, why are you here? <laughs> and this person said, well, I'm, I'm excited to learn more about a godless philosophy, and I thought, hmm, is it? That was just a turning point for me, to see somebody say that. I thought, I don't know if it is, and then I started thinking, I don't know anything, you know, <laughs> and, and <laughs> And and I'll tell you, I went back and I started kind of going through these texts uh, just very simply, you know, just just glancing at things. Where are they talking about God? I realized that during my kind of more secular phase, I had been reading these texts from the mind of somebody who was seeking personal development. And so if there is a passage that talked about God, it wasn't of interest to me. I I didn't see it. And, And the reason I know I didn't see it is because I like to highlight my books, and I would notice that there were passages where I would highlight this part right here, right, and then right below it, the very next lines, Epictetus might start talking about God, and it might actually be something that resolves the passage above it, but I didn't highlight the passage about God, right, and so I wasn't even seeing the things that they were saying about God. And I just started to think, whoa, all of them are talking about God in these very, you know, and and there is a Stoic theology, there is a deep, deep metaphysic that underlies the the, the Stoic framework that, you know, that builds upon it the rest of the principles. So, you know, Stoicism, and, and this is an argument that Kai Whiting will make much stronger than I, you know, Kai Whiting is very strict with this you 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 cannot have the rest of the values of stoicism unless the stoic god comes along with it it just doesn't work as a philosophy but nonetheless um i think that just really taught me that yeah okay they did talk about god there is a theology and um and it's it's fascinating to go into and and that was really just a turning point for me where i started to say okay well um i need to explore this because uh, I don't want to be ignorant to these things. Uh, if if there is uh, uh, value to be found, you might say.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think that's how God works in some ways. Is that you know? I mean, whatever the God of your understanding is, right? Um, sort of that. Well, maybe you weren't meant to see those passages. Maybe you weren't meant to have your eyes opened to God's presence in those texts yet. And I mean, maybe that man coming into your group and sort of being like, oh, this aha moment, like, and then going back and actually then seeking that part of it out, you probably got so much more out of that part of it when you were like, oh, wow, yes, it is here. Let me seek this out and and find it rather than oh, God did this, God did that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes like, right, you you probably read it, but you glossed over it, right? So um, that's really fascinating to me. When you were writing your book, The Poet and the Sage, did you have like a um, like a practice? Like, was there like a spiritual grounding that you did or any kind of meditation that you did to like sort of call in your higher power as you were getting into the flow of writing?
1: You know, I would say that... Um... Certainly routine was a good idea, but this was also it, it was kind of it was a time. I mean, the past year and a half really has just been so full of um so many different influences on my mind. Uh I remember at the end of uh 2020. Yeah. Uh, just as we we're going into 2021, my wife asked me, you know, what was the best part about 2020 for you? And I remember my answer being, well, okay, there wasn't a specific best part, but the best thing about it to me was that I don't even recognize the way that I see the world now compared to how I saw the world a year ago, you know, because when you start really diving into these concepts and when you've got all of these influences of, um, you know, uh, moving in the direction of seeing the value of, say, theology and, um, uh, and ideas around God, uh, I think what starts to happen if you allow yourself to be taken into the adventure of what you're learning is your fundamental, you know, metaphysical structure starts to shift. I think that through writing the poet and the sage, I really started to to understand so much better the the idea of fate that the Stoics talked about so much And, and this idea that we have an individual nature within us that connects us to the nature of the whole. And we experience that through deep, deep, meaning you know when we're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing and and when we are in that place you know that internal joy is so uh so vivid you know and 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 so we can get a sense for when we are in alignment with our own nature and the nature of the whole as in how we contribute best to this complex uh uh um reality that we're a part of but i i think that um practically speaking what i started to do was i definitely um you know started making sure that my room was in the right setting you know like i I love having you know i love having a beautiful little light here i've got my little things on the desk you know like i get into a routine you know this time every day i'm gonna get in there i'm gonna write um and just allowing myself to uh, i guess um find ways to allow things to happen rather than for me to force them in a certain direction whether that means being here in the right setting or you know going out into nature and going for a walk uh, you know to beautiful places around the sunshine coast that I love or um but it, it is hard to say you know because uh, there were so many things going on for me at that time that that really aided me in that process
0: right okay cool I like that what you're saying that just putting yourself in that environment and I think just allowing those things to happen and getting into the, I guess like the system of it, right? Like I go here I do this, or I'm going out in nature to be inspired. Like, instead of like, Oh, I got to write, I got to write today, or, you know, I have to, to do this thing. And, and so this comes up so much with like my health and wellness coaching, like, trying to explain to people like let go of the goal let go of I have to lose 30 pounds 50 pounds whatever it is like right I want to be a size six whatever like let go of that fall in love with the process like fall in love Mm -hmm. with like you're saying getting out in nature what do you like to do you know what are the foods you like to eat like fall in love with discovering what healthy is to you. And like all those other peripheral things will come into focus. Like, you know, tell people like the weight loss is just a side effect. It's one of the things that happens when everything else is in alignment, when everything else is working properly and your body's healthy and your mind's healthy and your spirit's healthy. Um, So I I, I almost could see that like, you know your process was very similar to, you know, to that, like, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to sit down and write this book today. So, you know, I'm going to say this prayer and do this book, right? So I just, I love that. So is your, is your style of like writing music similar to that?
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't necessarily write a lot of music, uh, although, you know, the way that I kind of put my music together and compose, I guess, is, um, is really, a process of improvisation and uh, again allowing myself just to let go and see where it takes me I think um, I saw a lot of growth uh, as a pianist in in the past year and a half and a lot of that came from a, a deep intuition within me to to not uh, go down the path that is going to get me to be resentful about the fact that I'm playing piano and, I, and I'll explain that right because When I was younger, piano was an instrument that I absolutely loved, right, and I would make these little tunes on it, and I would, you know, kind of improvise a little bit. I wasn't good at it, but, you know, as a young kid, I clearly had a desire, and so my parents thought, great, we'll get them piano lessons, but about three weeks into piano lessons, I gave it all up. I was like, nah, I don't want to do it because I was with this teacher who was like, play these notes here, and these notes there, and take this music home, and I was like, oh you know like I just yeah
0: same I I tell people like I learned enough piano so that I could be creative and write my own music I like I just hated the structure of you know reading the notes and like I don't know it's like well this is how I feel it and this is how I want to play it and and she Mm. would always be like no, don't memorize the notes and then play it from memory. So I'm just really relating with what you're saying.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, and and here's the thing, like what what people shouldn't take away from me saying this is that there's no use in structure, right? Because like uh, for some people, okay, well, let me explain it like this. At the university that I went to, I have a Bachelor of Music as well, right? And so the university that I went to, you had the classical department and you had the jazz department. And to me, it seems like, okay, clearly the people who are more creatively driven, um, you know, uh, to push the boundaries, go outside the boundaries, and to, uh, to, you know, yeah, be hyper creative, they're going to be in the jazz department, because that's just where you go if you're this wild creative person, right, but then you, you might say the more conscientious people, the people who are going to be very, you know, down the line. I want to learn the hardcore music theory and, you know, how to play this perfectly line for line. It's like they might go towards the classical department, right? So it's different types of people, right? And I'm just the kind of person who, like, as soon as you started talking to me about, um, you know, rigid structure, I I struggle with that deeply within my soul and i understand that a lot of that is laziness i get that i get that right but nonetheless the thing that i discovered for myself was um just this this um method of structure and play you know and so what i would do in my piano playing is i would sit down and i would say okay let's just let go and see where it takes me you know i just start noodling around and um, you know, kind of find my own direction around the keys and see where it takes me. And then if I find myself amid all that chaos of playing around, uh, if I find myself in a place that is kind of meditative and beautiful and a theme that I enjoy, then I'll stick with it and, and perhaps push myself through to, to really get that part. And, and so the structure and play, um, you know, kind of nested in this method of, of allowing myself to let go I saw that over a year of doing that personally, that for me, you know, it it I, I saw massive growth in my piano playing because, and here's the thing, I noticed that when I took on that strategy, I practiced piano over a year more than I had practiced singing or trumpet playing in my entire life. And I have a degree in those, right? <laughs> and And so the lesson for me was, you've got to find a structure that allows you to enjoy the process of learning, right, and to and, and to me as an artist, I wanted to go down that, that very chaotic path, for some people it won't be, and I'll tell you, Crystal, that, um, you know, it just taught me, like, okay, piano was always the instrument that I loved, right, and I still love trumpet, and I still love singing, but I'm so glad that I took that up, and that even inspired me to the point where um I was on a trip with my wife up in northern Queensland last year and I finally bought myself a real didgeridoo because the didgeridoo was my very first instrument it was my first instrument and I loved it and I've always wanted to get into it a little bit more but I thought Now's the time. Now I know that I need to go in the direction that my soul is telling me to go and not in the direction that I have already gone, that kind of sunk value fallacy, you know. So, um, Mm. yeah, firstly, choose the instrument that you yourself adore and want to learn. Secondly, find a strategy that really works for you so that you love the process of learning it. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. How fun is that? And, I was resonating with what you were saying about some people really like the structure and some people really like the, I mean, it's not, it's not a total absence of structure, but it's more of like what you're saying, sort of like discovery and play. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is the playful life. So I'm very much about that. And I think when I coach and, and when I do things, it's very much about discovery. It's very much about, we'll try this see if it works, if it doesn't try something else and then add on another thing, right? It's not, um, not everybody who comes to me, I go, well, okay, you need to eat these foods and move this much a day and do these exercises. Like, I mean, that'd be ridiculous. Like we're not all the same. So, so that's not the way everybody learns. And so um, I love what you were saying about that. And I, I think how well that applies to like anything in life not only learning music and being creative but um just even career-wise right like learning to live your truth and say okay i'm in this job or this career and it's really not what i wanted for myself maybe it's what other people wanted for me or um like just to throw it back to like even your upbringing in the mormon church like Um, not that you didn't have value there that you took with you now, but that, okay, you realize at some point, like, this isn't what I want, or this is not the spiritual journey that I'm on. Um, you know, take what you liked and leave the rest, I guess, right. Is, is one of those Mm. great phrases that comes to mind. Um, so, so like, what is next? I guess, Simon, like, what's your, your vision for, you know, this year and how do you see, like all these elements of your creativity and the podcast and the book, like, how do you see this coming together? Because, um, I can sense like from your energy and just your heart and, and following you that you have a real passion to, to serve. And, you know, I think like you said, right, when you were learning about stoicism, you're like, I want to help other people know about this. Um, so I guess like, where, where is that vision taking you now?
1: Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's the thing, right. We're, we're really, um, I guess I'm on this adventure of seeing what's coming next, you know, and, and, and when it comes, it's probably on the day of, you know? And so I, I only really see, you know, kind of like a day ahead at the moment. And I'm, uh, you know, doing so much at the moment, there are so many different things that are kind of coming together. And I feel like most of the time I'm balancing plates, you know, or spinning plates. Um, but there are, there are a few things that are really kind of, uh, on my radar is my major focus at the moment, Um, you know, number one is, is uh, really working on the walled garden. Um, As you know, you know, this is a collaboration that I'm doing with Sharon LaBelle and Kai Whiting and these are two individuals who, um, every day I'm grateful for the fact that somehow I managed to go from 2017, starting this podcast to now having two mentors who I genuinely love and adore and, um, you know, who I I genuinely am excited about working with. And so, um, you know, Sharon, Kai and myself, we're doing this walled garden. We're interested in seeing where it goes, building this community and seeing what comes of it. Um, So we're we're all in the same boat of being interested to just... Not to kind of sit back, but to to get involved with it and see what we can turn it into. Um, and then obviously, the book, I'm excited about that. Um, you know, my goal with that is uh, is is, you know, as soon as we get to like one hundred and fifty book sales, it's like then we get to the next book and that's already prepared. I just need to, you know get to that. so i'm I'm excited about that. and I'm excited to see how people relate to the book and Um, and I guess, uh, also just with the master of divinity, that's another thing that is going to be really a a big focus for me. So, uh, honestly, I'm just on that kind of artistic theological journey. And, uh, and it's, it's something that, you know, every day I'm learning something new every day, I'm experiencing something different. And, uh, I think that my biggest challenge is always to not get bogged down in the, everyday uh kind of you know emails and business stuff and all this sort of stuff that is just you know uh sucking energy away from that ultimate purpose so um i will say that i think that my biggest thing at the moment is i'm i'm setting up structures around me so that i can do exactly what i do best and other people can help me to do that while they do what they do best and we all work towards the same goal so yeah, there's, there's a lot coming this year, um, but uh, we'll see where it goes. It's not going to be where I think it is.
0: <laughs> oh, of course, but that's the fun of it. That's the fun of it, yeah. and I can totally relate. I mean, I, I am at the point uh, now where I, I think I might just find, like, a virtual assistant somewhere online to, like, here's all the things for the podcast, put it together, upload it, because like this is the part I enjoy, right? Connecting with you and having these conversations. But the part about it, like I hate, is like the video video editing, where I'm like, you know, like it just takes me forever.
1: Yeah, same, it kills me.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> so maybe we need to find uh, a good help, you know, some virtual help or something to take us to the next level here. But um, I, I, I just want to for a moment, and I, I know, like, so. I would encourage everybody listening watching like go go to the wallgarden.com and like just check out what it is because I mean it, if you give like a three minute five minute synopsis it's just that's not enough I feel to really explain about what it is mm. but I guess like um I know what it is because I'm a part of it but for somebody listening that's just meeting you for the first time Simon like what is your um I guess like your mission with that is it the community is the education is it a combination of both like uh, what are you really looking to achieve for people with
1: that? Yeah, well, I think, um, let, let me sum it up like this. We, we, had, we had a meetup uh, in the community uh, a, about a week ago. Uh, might have been two weeks ago. That's it. Yeah, time is just slowing down from here. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were discussing this great passage from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, where he was talking about the time that, uh, you know, the time that he was living in was one where people were writing histories and biographies and commentaries on the ancient, uh, you know, the wise wise people of the past. Uh, But he questioned whether people were actually having the experience of the Enlightenment that they had. He said something like uh you know why should not we have a a poetry and a philosophy of insight and revelation to us and not of like a tradition to theirs you know so um he was very interested in us having the experience of these ancient thinkers and seers and wise people and um and, and philosophers and theologians and and mystics you know he wanted to know how they felt and i think that if there's one thing that really brings all of us together who are organizing the world garden it's we want to take people on the adventure of experiencing the divine of experiencing that 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 true joy that comes from philosophy when it is embodied wisdom and not simply some academic pursuit that can kind of uh, be very up in the air and not very um internalized, you might say. So, you know, we're building a community around this shared value of let's go on this adventure together, of um, rediscovering the wisdom of these ancient Stoics, of course, because we, we're all uh, embedded within that philosophy already. But nonetheless, we're interested in exploring, you know, the the symbolism behind the walled garden. I like how Jordan Peterson puts it. He said that the walled garden is a place where chaos can manifest itself creatively. Right. And because the walled Ooh, garden symbolically is a place where nature and culture harmonize nature representing chaos. Cause you walk into a forest and it's like, Oh, chaos everywhere, you know, but 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 then culture is the ordering principle that you know brings things together and you know straight lines and so the world garden is a place where we bring nature and culture together uh or chaos and order in order to um to play to play effectively so that we can all follow the the deepest yearnings of our and and intuitions of our hearts and and we can see where that adventure takes us um so i i hope that that gives people a better idea but there are a few things that we're doing in there we're doing regular meetup groups with various philosophers and professors and um, with kaya sharon and myself discussing topics that we believe are incredibly important for our modern times Um, each of us are also doing individual mentoring with people philosophical mentoring so taking people on that adventure on a one-on-one basis and and we've got other opportunities coming up to expand potentially even into working with companies and all sorts of things. So there's, there's a lot that we're doing there, but um, people can get involved in the community by starting listening to the practice, sorry, the, uh, the, the, the World garden podcast and, um, and see where we go.
0: Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I love that. Like there's chaos, but then there's some order to it. And like, just yeah that idea of just play just experience just discover and Mm. and see where it goes um so that's very exciting i
1: will i will say this sharon labelle put it beautifully and she puts everything beautifully so there's no surprise there but Mm -hmm. she said we need to make room for intentional innocence right Mm. uh you know allow the the deepest yearnings of our hearts to come out no matter what they are and in a spirit of mutual you know sharing of these values of of, of philosophical and theological exploration and you know uh, if everybody agrees that what we're doing here is going on an adventure trying to experience that enlightenment and that you know everybody's on that same path then we can we can afford to take risks in our thinking which we all should be doing um Mm -hmm. and and see where it goes
0: yes yes it's so crazy. I feel that I, I talk to so many adults and I mean, health and wellness aside, it's like they don't really understand what they want mm. or they might have desires, but they push them down or they ignore them. And I think there's really some value in creating a space where people are allowed to be like in tune with their desires and what they want and, and not afraid to express them and, and share them either. And I often think about like the structure of education and how, when you're ages zero to five, I mean, all of your learning comes from play and exploring and I want this, how do I get this? Right. It's, it's all like, let me figure this out. Do I have to climb up on this table to get to this, whatever cookie, you know, it's, all of that. And then, and then we go to school and it's very like structured and, you know, you better have the right answer because we're going to judge you if you don't have the right answer. And so I think we, we learn this like way of being that's like, well, if I don't have the right answer, I better not say anything. And so we get Mm -hmm. very stuck in that place of, well, nobody has the answers. To life I mean I feel you know formal education prepares you for you know a job and you know maybe the the structure of like that everyday living but it does not prepare you for life for the journey of life and the journey of discovering who you are and what you want and who you want to be and the journey that you want to be on with your soul and your spirit and all those things so I love Mm -hmm that you are creating that space for adults because it it just, it does, it gets lost somewhere. And uh, in in my, you know, field of expertise, that is, you know, what I'm trying to do as well is create, you know, that safe environment for people to be like in tune with what they want and what they desire and, and play and and figure it out and discover. So I absolutely love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're so right, and you know I think we we never really stop playing as human beings, but perhaps we forget how to play well, you know, and effectively, and um and you know we start playing games that we really don't want to be playing. Um and and I think that that is really when we feel most out of alignment with our um you know true selves. Is the I, I hate I hate that true self because. It's difficult to know exactly what that is or where it's found, um, uh, but but nonetheless, you know, we just need to learn how to play better, how to be more authentic, you know, more open to new experiences, more open to the experience of taking a risk. I'll, I'll tell you this. I hope we have time. Do you have time for one more little? <laughs> yes,
0: of um, course. Rant?
1: Um, Because one of the things that I started doing a couple of years ago, when I was, um, you know, real, I had just quit my job as a gym manager, and I was um, going out on a limb and saying, "Cool, I'm I'm going to do my coaching full time," and, you know, I really didn't want to go down the path of the standard kind of um, really sleazy coach marketing you know like hey come and get my free ebook it's not free you know cuz then they're going to send you like 10,000 emails and you're going to get sick of them and you know like i've never bought from a person who does that sort of stuff um and i just thought let's see if i can get clients just by doing well on the podcast and being myself and exploring questions that i think are important and and I survived through two years, you know, perhaps I didn't thrive in terms of, you know, having more clients than I knew what to do with, but the clients that I had were incredible people and I built amazing relationships and I did survive financially by playing the game that I wanted to play and by not, you know, giving in to the allure of, uh, of the, this, you know, this kind of marketing. And now now I'm in that stage again where we're, you know, we're rebranding everything. We're in the world garden. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. I want to take on five more clients this year. How am I going to do that? You know, it's not as simple as me just advertising in every show and saying, hey, listen, I, I do coaching as well because, you know, now I've got Sharon, I've got Kai. So we've got to do this together now. And um, I was reading this article, Crystal, uh, yesterday on Forbes about, um, the state of marketing in the coaching industry and it was funny because uh, this article was saying well it's no longer as easy as it used to be to get clients as a coach right and the reason is because trust in marketing or coaching uh, products is at an all-time low and i thought that makes perfect sense because I don't trust coaches and I don't trust marketing. And I'm like everybody, a modern consumer who is faced with over 4,000 images of marketing every single day. And, what i thought was interesting was their solution to that problem was not to say okay what ha- needs to happen if there's a lack of trust then we need to have greater integrity as marketers or we need to be more trustworthy coaches we need to focus on uh, the true value that we're adding to people uh, no their approach was um so what we need is more marketing right and <laughs> what we need what we need is we need for people to have six interactions before they are going to hand over their money to you and so you need to send them into this funnel and send to this and that and i was like it seems like the wrong approach and it just gives me a disgusting feeling at the bottom of my stomach and i i want to avoid that style as much as i possibly can and so it's difficult because what you have to say is like am i going to be led by my internal values and go on the adventure that i i want to go on because if you do that you might have no clients who knows, Mm. you know, you, you, you might not get anything. um, And you might, um, you know, you, you might not get the financial success that you want, but you will have the internal joy of knowing that you are not going against your most fundamental principles. And the question is always, do you truly believe that that would be better than all of the wealth that you could possibly have you know that feeling of being in alignment with your inner values and that's what the ancient philosophers tried to teach us you know like principles first values first you know money wealth success all that sort of stuff if it comes accept it but if it doesn't you know you can't go against your values so it's tough it's tough you know because
0: it's very hard for us to be Stoic coaches. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: I well you know and 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 look here's the thing I mean like I I have respect for marketers uh, absolutely and and they do it they do a very important job because you know sometimes you have a product that you really want to get out there to people and I think what I'm what I'm talking about is we need to be way more creative with the way that we think about actually getting the word out to people than simply right. you know create this ebook and get them to go in this funnel here and even just the language crystal it's like the language they use think about this what's the language that you would hear all the time from people who are teaching you how to market your services okay we need to drive traffic into a funnel right okay so when you say that as stoics we understand that language means something and it teaches me something about the way that you see people and the world teaches me something about how you will treat me If I'm talking about my potential clients or students or mentees, as in I need to drive traffic to a funnel, you know, essentially what that means is that I see human beings as cows that I need to herd onto a truck into my factory so that they can hand me more money. That's what that language teaches you about a person. And so I think that, yeah, when I see that their solution was like more, 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 more marketing, I thought it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit on the, on the icky side. Um, And I'm going to try and be more creative with the approach here and try and, you know, uh, see if I can, you know, set up our business so that we never have to, uh, (laughs) we never have to push our marketing out there to try and trick people into being with us. But nonetheless, we can, you know, bring people into our adventure by the goods of our soul, you know, and and by that kind of connection. So absolutely.
0: I am totally on that page with you. And (laughs) my dad would always tell me throughout my life, like integrity speaks for itself and it speaks very loudly, right? That people notice I think at this point, people know when they're being marketed to. I mean, re- you and I know. I mean, maybe it's just yeah. because we're in this world, but like you said, right? You know when somebody's going download this free thing, and then you get on this email list, and then they're emailing you seven times a day and buy this. I mean, it's you know, you just have to go through it with a a fine comb and be like, okay, what is valuable here to me? And I I love that that you know, I, I think stoicism helps people like you and me, like, let go of the desire to want to achieve more, to want to gain more followers, to want to have more clients, more money, right? And sort of like that, well, let me let go of the outcome. If I just sit here in my principles, come at this, like, as a real person with real values and, and make those connections, I have to just trust and believe, right? Like, you're, you were talking earlier about mm. faith and faith. Like, I have to have faith that the right people are going to find me, and when they do, like I will help transform their lives. But yeah, yeah I, I, I very, um, I very much like do not like TikTok. I feel like TikTok is the exact opposite of what I am trying to help people deal with in the world. Like I'm trying to get people to sit down and journal and be introspective and like give things more than 15 seconds of attention. And yeah. so, you know, I feel it's a, it's a real compromise of my values as a person, as a coach to be on TikTok. Like, and I think the people who would find me there are not going to resonate with my message either, because they're on that platform for a reason, because they like it, right? Yeah. So they're going to get with me and be like, oh man, this is taking forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talk for an hour about gratitude, like, you know, <laughs>
1: yeah and it's tough right because like the problem that we would always have with this sort of thing is um perhaps those are the people who need it most you know who are you know on these platforms just you know addicted to social media every day and um you know we we at the world garden are now kind of you know i've i've gone without social media for a while and now we're kind of just jumping back on it um and thinking about what is our approach here you know how how are we going to set this up so that we do not feel as though we are, you know, constantly on this, you know, platform, but nonetheless, you know, how do we set it up so that we can bring people towards what we're doing and, and perhaps help them to uh, you know, to not be so um, trapped in that world of likes and shares and all this sort of stuff. And um, yeah, it's, 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 there's no, there's no simple solution, um, but certainly you will feel better if you go uh, you know, as your own adventure and stick to your own values and, um, and do not compromise those sorts of things. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's complex. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> it is. It is. And I just, I honor you, Simon, because I feel that I needed to receive this message today and that, you know, this conversation has really been very, helpful and, and like supportive to me so I I honor you for being here and being so open and, and sharing with me today I really do.
1: Well, Crystal it's been so beautiful and um and you just have just such an awesome spirit about you like I, I love it you know and so I'll, I'll talk to you as much as you want to talk to me right and um and happy birthday as well oh, I don't you. know if your audience knows <laughs> that we're interviewing doing this interview on your birthday which is unbelievable that you you know wanted to talk to me on your birthday but uh you know nonetheless I'm honored and uh, and I hope you have an amazing day thank you know this has been this has been a pleasure
0: absolutely well thank you so much and uh real quick I know I will link all this in the show notes but uh sure. where would be the best place that we can find you
1: so people can find me they can go to simonjedrew.com Um, would be absolutely fine to go there Um, you can also go to thewalledgarden.com and uh, if people are interested in picking up the poet and the sage um, which I highly recommend because it is the goods of my soul and I believe that it has the power to be a transformative work in people's lives Um, and and like I said at the start of the episode I didn't write this book because Somebody said the market wants a book on stoicism. It's not a book on stoicism. It is a book of true exploration of philosophical and theological principles. And so, uh, if people want that, then they can go to theworldgarden.com. Just go to the store there and then grab it.
0: Perfect. All right. Uh, I will be transparent. I haven't gotten my copy yet, but I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to order it and get it because I just I can't wait. I've heard you talk about it and have these conversations. I'm like, I need to get my hands on this book. So. Everybody well, I'd be honored for
1: you to have a coffee Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Awesome. We'll do that. Uh, okay. All right, Simon. Well, Godspeed to you and, uh, you know, be blessed and all that you do. And, uh, once again, hopefully we'll, we'll be chatting soon.
1: Thank you, Crystal. Yeah. Happy birthday. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah.
0: Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. If someone you love would benefit from this message, please, please share this podcast with them. And if you want more out of your life, not just surviving every day, but you want to truly thrive, visit me at crystallizedhealthadvisors.com or on Facebook to schedule your free dream strategy call with me today. Do not hesitate any longer. Life is short and I want you to truly live the playful life. I will see you next time. And as always, stay playful.